podcast was recorded on the 1st of February 2011 at the London Centre of Spirituality for the launch of the new book New Monasticism as Fresh Expressions of the Church, where Graham Cray talks of why new monasticism is important to fresh expressions, and then involves a panel that includes Erin Kennedy from the MOOC community, Tessa Holland from the Contemplative Fire community, Diane Kershaw from the Order of Mission, Chris Rogers of the All Hallows Church community, Ian Adams of the CMS Small Mission Community Network, Andy Freeman of the 24-7 Prayer Network and Reconcile Community in Reading, and Brother Sam of the Anglican Franciscans Community based in Hillfield Priory. The event was emceed by Ian Mobsby of the Moot Community. Uh, my name's Ian Adams, and uh, good to be with you. Uh, I've written the uh, chapter Cave Refectory Road in the, in the book, which has itself become a book as well, and they say a little bit about that. M- my um, uh, route coming here, perhaps that starts with uh, a community called Maybe in Oxford, uh, who were an emerging community um, in 2004 we started, and we drew heavily on the new monastic, on the monastic thing. We didn't know it was new monasticism then, but it was just we were interest, interested in the, in, the, in the way of monks and nuns and friars, uh, and we found that very helpful. Uh, one good example would be in the role of, um, I, had the, I was given the role of, of abbot of this community, uh, and um, it really helped me to understand that uh, by the core which we picked up from Teze and another community called Bose, uh, which is for the abbot or the prior to orientate the community at all times towards the light of Christ. And of course I soon realised that it's very difficult to encourage other people to do that if you're not doing that yourself. Uh, so it's a daily, it's a daily thing. Uh, so um, that, that interest has continued. I do this, the small mission or communities project for CMS. I'm encouraging other people to start and sustain new communities. Uh, I, I ring a monastic bell each morning calling people to pray. It's called Morning Bell. I send it out by email and text and Twitter and Facebook. I connect with some of you on that. And that's, that's like a kind of community for me, for me now. I'm also involved in a project called Still Point, which is interested in contemplative spirituality and trying to encourage that. Uh, I think I want to say there's lots of questions around church and society at the moment, and I don't think new monasticism is the answer, but I do think it's a really important strand, and we must pay attention to it. Something really helpful in the life of monks, nuns, and friars, these people who devote their lives to the search for God, and loving God in the world, that, that must, that must uh, hold lessons for us, for us all. So a few, a few thoughts on, on what those lessons might be. First of all, I think it's an authentic way of life, and people are, people are um, yearning for authenticity, I think. There's nothing romantic about the monastic way of life, or perhaps there's a little, but we mustn't over-romanticize it. It's, it, is a, it is a demanding, costly uh, calling, and I think something really true running right through it. It's this very appealing, uh, and I want to I want to take that on myself. And and uh, I think that's that can be a really uh, helpful um, way of viewing what the monastics are doing. And I I think it's really helpful too that they emphasise the following of Christ as being a life of practice, not just a cerebral thing, not just an ascent thing or a belief thing, but actually it's a way to live. So if you're following Christ. 
that there are actually patterns and practices that we that we take on that will form and that will shape us. And there are, these patterns are for us both as, as communities and as individuals. Again, that's a really important thing. The part of the monastic genius, it seems to me, is that it knows that if, if change is going to happen, if we're going to change the world, it starts with us. We need to change. And the community changes and then the world changes. Uh, so I, I'm interested, I think, this picks up on what Graham was saying earlier. Uh, you know, I've picked up three strands of monastic life. I've called them cave, refectory, and road. Cave is the place of withdrawal, place of self-knowing, opening up to God. It seems to be so important that we start at that place as individuals and as communities. Prayer, openness, stillness. Then refectory, place of commitment to our locality commitment to place, serving as communities of hospitality and energy and reconciliation. And then the road. Uh, and you, we're all saying the same sort of things tonight, that this is the place of, of encounter on the road, believing that God is already at work on, on, on the road and being out there. So I'm very interested in the way that a lot of the uh, emerging uh, new monastic communities are looking to engage in, in the public sphere. I think we can, we can draw inspiration from the friars in the way that that's been done. Uh, monasticism, of course, is largely a lay movement. I think that's really interesting. Uh, Benedict was really, um, he was quite, um, uh, he, he urged caution in admitting priests to the monastery, very interestingly. Uh, that monasticism is on the whole a lay movement. I think it's, again, really interesting in these times. It's difficult for us to fund and resource a clerical-led community. So just very interesting about lay communities of people. And also the permission we have, the freedom that there is in the monastic stream to engage in ways that uh, hopefully are complementary to the religious institutions to which we belong and which we love, but go around and through that some of the boundaries that those institutions have to work with. So lay communities in a sort of fluid pattern of mission. I also, I have to say, I just also like the fact that this links me to the past. Somehow, I think something you know, very strong in that I see that, that, that this is a pattern of life that goes, goes back away. It's been tried and tested. So we're entering into a stream that is, that is full of wisdom and, and richness for us as well. And the emphasis on, on the balance of prayer and action seems to me to be absolutely crucial. It's both and, not either or. Through this, I'm very conscious that... Um, I'm just peering over the wall uh, into, the, into the monastery. I'm, I'm scrumping apples in the monastery orchard. You must understand that. But I think it's worthwhile and we must do that. So I, I encourage you, urge you to peer over the wall, to scrump the apples and make friends. Make friends with, with the monastics. Go, go, go to your local religious community, find out who they are and make friends with them. Thank you. Thanks, Ian. Um, it's my pleasure also to invite uh, Chris here. Chris didn't uh, uh, contribute to the discussion we had here and the uh, book, but what he's actually doing in East London has really inspired me um, and excited me about, how, and I think makes a direct connection with the question about mission and new monasticism. So I invited Chris to share what he's doing. Do you mind if I stand? I'm, just, I'm, I'm hidden behind here, aren't I? That's the, um, um, I've been in at church... Uh, leadership of some form or another for about 10 years and um, just got this growing sense inside of me that, that something wasn't quite right in 
a lot of the things that I was doing. And I, um, I've led two congregations, both youth congregations, one um, for five years uh, that I left in September, known as Soul Survivor Harrow, a youth congregation, very missional kind of, uh, two churches very focused on mission and evangelism towards teenagers. But there was a sense inside of me that, that um, there was something else that I just wanted to, to try out, I guess. There was something else that I was interested in. And, and that was that every time I read the Gospels, it seemed to me that Jesus went to the abandoned places. He went to the borderlands. He went to the places where nobody else wanted to go. And the more that I spent time hanging out with my Catholic brothers and sisters and spent time with uh, monastics, I just got this sense that there was something really important uh, for me about Jesus going to those abandoned places. And in September, we moved as a family over to Bow in the east end of London to an area uh, in Tower Hamlets. It's on the lowest, um, we're on the 3% indices. I don't know if you know what that means, but every area in the country out of 100% is worked out how poor or deprived or how wealthy that area is, and we're at 3%. 10% is seen as poverty, we're at 3% in this area. And um, the reason we ended up there was, the more I read the Gospels, I got this sense that uh, I was being called to go and relocate. And uh, for me, the monastic movement is about relocation. You relocate to the desert or you take to the streets. And for me, the calling to the streets was, was really important. And um, I just got this sense that, Actually, we as a family wanted to move and relocate to, to a poorer area of London. And when we said that to friends of ours, they said, actually, could we come with you? And actually, Dom's just walked in now as a mate of mine. And uh, um, Dom and I, you know, Dom, I don't know if, you know, Dom used to live on the streets, but um, Dom and I became really good mates. And the more we investigated Jesus, we just got this sense we wanted to move somewhere fresh and start again rethinking about what did church actually look like. And we spoke to um, the Bishop of London, and we found out about a church in the east end of London that got seven elderly people, they were wanting to close it, and there had been questions over if the Muslim community were going to buy it. They thought about turning it into a mosque. It's a great, it would be a fantastic mosque. There's no crosses on the building or anything. Uh, but I said, don't do that. Give it to us, and a little gang of us will go over there, and we'll just start living an intentional community. We'll move into the neighbourhood. We'll become people of that community. And we'll just see what grows from, from that place. So um, I got given a wonderful rectory, uh, six bedrooms. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, you dream of this kind of property. And we were able to invite friends to move in with us. So we moved into this rectory in September with mates of ours. We've got a few more that are going to be arriving in a few weeks' time. And we live in community together there. But then there's others of us that have just moved intentionally into the tower blocks and moved into the streets. So I've got a friend of mine who's a banker in Canary Wharf. He works in Canary Wharf during the day and then comes back to his street, Swatton Street, 18 houses, nine of which uh, house squatters. And he lives either side. Houses, we've got uh, members of our church living either side of these squatters. And, and we've intentionally moved into this area uh, to live out the incarnation, to live out uh, the gospel moving into the neighbourhood. So um, we're, we're picking houses to move into. We've got friends tonight who are looking at a flat that's right in the middle of the, our, our council estate. Uh, so we're intentionally choosing and relocating, because for us it's about refinding what does it look like for the gospel to be embodied for the poor. Because if the gospel is the gospel, it has to be for the poor, doesn't it? You know, that's where Jesus seemed to go. I have got notes, it's in front of me. Uh, so firstly for us, it's about this intentional community. We talk about family a lot. We don't talk about intentional community. People think you're a cult if you do that, particularly in the East End of London. So we talk about family, church is a family. And on a Sunday morning, we welcome the family together. Now, 
some of us know really what we mean by that and others don't, but it's that sense of being community together, loving each other. Um, and the, one of the key things that we found um, when we moved was when we tried to ditch all the religious attitudes, we found ourselves plummeting in further into religious kind of things and refining things and the rhythm of life is just so key to us. We, each day, even though some of us work at Canary Wharf and some of us work at the corner shop or uh, go to uni, actually that rhythm of life of prayer together was really important. And we actually couldn't find a time where we could do that because actually some of us start work at 7 a.m. So we email each other. We've got this um, MailChimp. I don't know if you've ever found this. MailChimp, well, you can program it to email you different things each day. And we've actually created a liturgy for each day of the week in a month and uh, there's 31 different liturgies and each morning uh, at 7 o'clock we get an email and the whole gang of us are praying the same thing together at the same time. So it's, it's a rhythm of life where we don't have to be with each other but we, we know we're praying with each other. Um, so that for us that's something that we've, we've found important. Uh, reconciliation as well. Uh, I, I call myself a charismatic new monastic. Um, I'm a mishmash of everything. I'm a bit of a, a Woolies pick and mix. And I've collected stuff from all over the place over my time. And um, I just recognize that within the church, very often, the evangelicals are cynical of the Catholic, uh, Anglo-Catholic wing. The Anglo-Catholics, you know, look at the whole Alpha thing and really cynical of that. And kind of, you just end up being cynical with each other. And there's some bitterness that ends up in the church. And actually, if the church is going to be the body of Christ, we need to stand in unity together uh, and stand in unity on the things that we agree on and, and work together in that. So we, we intentionally moved there and said, we are going to be uh, a community that wants to work with everybody that's around. We'll find common ground wherever we can and we'll work together. So we wanted to build a community of reconciliation. We wanted to embody that and be that. So we spend time with Duncan, who's our next Anglo-Catholic priest, grew up in Calcutta with Mother Teresa, rock and roll, I'm telling you, is amazing. And then we're spending time with the Baptist church down the road, and we're spending ch- time with the HTB church down the road, and, the, and we just want to be a community of reconciliation. We want to be known as the community that wants to work with everybody. Um, so that's a key value for us that we found really helpful in the new monastic movement. Hospitality, because we've got this home, this house, there's a gang of us, the door is open every day at five o'clock, people come in, the coffee's on, and we just want to be that house of hospitality. Not just for those kind of 12 of us that are living in, in relationship to each other, but the wider community as well. We want to be that place of hospitality. Uh, and one key thing that isn't in the, the book, New, uh, New Monasticism, it's a good book by the way, but um, for me, um, th- this phrase that's come time and time again, that for me the church should be an explosion of joy in the community. We want to be an explosion of joy in the community, the resurrection embodied in that community. So that looks, hospitality is key to that for us. How do we become a community of hospitality on our streets? How do we become the church that throws the best parties? That is our question, and that's what we want to be. Uh, so we want to be an explosion of joy. Um, so we were given this uh, church in the East End, seven elderly people, and we have moved in. We've grown from seven to about 35. Uh, and we've not done anything yet. But the people in the area, many of them de-churched uh, and non-churched, are turning up to our church. And we've just got a massive sign outside that says, come as you are. And we, we've been given this reputation as this community that everybody's just welcome to come and meet with Jesus. Uh, and the full gospel, 
you know, the gospel of life and liberation. And uh, so our services on Sunday morning are, again, a pick and mix of all sorts. Uh, it's like a Woolies pick and mix, and you find a bit of everything. But there's three phrases that I shared with you the other week that we found really helpful in taking a church that was dying and breathing life into it. First is to celebrate the past. Uh, nothing is new. Nothing really is new. Everything's been done before. We just have to refine it and relove it and reinvent it for our kind of culture and generation. So we want to celebrate the past. Honouring the past is key to us. And then we want to navigate change, navigating the change within the community that we have. And then we want to forge a new future because we want this to be a church of life in the community. And we've got the vision that we, we were planted, we started in September. We want to plant another church in five years' time. We want to have that as a part of our DNA. We want to take another church that's dying and breathe new life into that. So we want to celebrate the past, navigate change. We want to forge a new future. And there we go. Amen. Thanks, Chris. One of the exciting things of this project is um, the connection between um, traditional monasticism um, of monks and nuns and friars and new monastics. And one of the um, structures in the Church of England is actually there is a council um, that oversees the monastic community, or all the uh, religious communities um, which are in communion with the Church of England. Um, and that has been an incredible, and I was very lucky to be co-opted to be a member of that. And um, I tell you, I'm just trying to keep up with these guys is quite a challenge. So um, the wisdom of that uh, it really excites me, and the generosity of this ongoing tradition um, of, of the. And I just wanted to give Brother Sam, who is part of the Franciscan Anglican Franciscans. Um, who is himself a great wisdom, as is Abbot Stuart Burns as well, who's another great, um, uh, wise counsel. But um, what I want you to hear and to give Brother Sam uh, an opportunity is the connection, I think, between traditional monasticism um, and those of the religious life and and the story so far with new monasticism. Brother. Thank you, Ian. (coughs) Hello from the old monasticism. (laughs) Um, I'm... uh, As Ian said, I'm a member of the Society of St. Francis. Um, That's an Anglican, um, traditional, Franciscan order of uh, 50 brothers in this country living uh, uh, under life vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, We also have Franciscan sisters, about 25 of them in this country. Uh, We have an enclosed order of sisters, um, the Poor Clares. And then there are some 2,000 members of the Third Order who are people, men and women, married and single, uh, seeking to live the gospel after the pattern of Francis under a a lifelong vow which is renewed year by year and a rule of life. Um, If you sometimes think that, uh, or sometimes your your new foundations are feeling a bit precarious and um, you're sort of feeling your way forward and people are a bit don't quite understand what you're doing. Um, I tell you uh, that every religious order starts in that way. Um, when Brother Douglas, who was one of the first of the leading of the first small group of, of men who sought to be Franciscans in the Church of England in the 1920s, uh, he, he, they, they lived amongst homeless people. They went out on the roads with them. They lived in the casual wards and they provided a place of hospitality and rehabilitation in Dorset, which is where I live. Um, and uh, uh, all the other people in the church said, oh, they're not doing it properly. These aren't proper religious, you know. I mean, they're, they, I mean they're, look at them. They, I mean, they don't have a proper habit and, uh, and so on. So actually, um, that's the sort of, and I expect that happened to Benedict as well, probably, um, and Dominic and so on. 
um, because the, the beginnings of anything are always precarious and tentative and uh, finding your way forward. I, I have the uh, privilege of um, living in a community which is both old monastic and new monastic because at Hillfield where I live there are seven brothers, Franciscan brothers, uh, but we're actually a community of 25 people, of, um, of, of, uh, of, of men and of women, of young people and of older people. Um, our youngest member is, um, is just 15 months old, and um, he's expecting a sister in two weeks' time. <laughs> uh, so we're a very sort of mixed uh, community of people, and uh, we're really, this has happened over the last four years. We're finding our way forward. Uh, with some suspicion from my brothers in the uh, Society of Francis, and, and quite a lot of encouragement as well. Um, uh, people have thought that we're, we're selling, selling the religious life short, or, and some people have been enormously uh, supportive and uh, accepting of us. I think I just want to pick out uh, a few things which are from my experience of trying to live this joint, um, this, this shared new monastic, old monastic, new friars, old friars pattern uh, which we're doing at Hillfield at the moment. Um, and the first thing is that uh, it's got to be a real participation, a real sharing and not an artificial one. I mean, we, I mean, why we started this was frankly we couldn't keep the place going any longer. We didn't have the brothers to do it. We were all actually dead beat, exhausted. People, you, you know, you had to really sort of bribe brothers to come back to Hillfield to keep the place going. And, uh, and that actually can often be the, the, the motivation for traditional religious communities inviting other people to come and share in their life. But frankly, it doesn't work because it's a strategy for survival and actually a strategy for survival in religious life uh, it means certain death. Um, you only can go into it being prepared to risk everything, abandon some of the things which you think quite precious and, uh, and, and <clears throat> take a bit of a leap in the dark which I think is what we've done. And so the people who are with us are, are fully members of the community at Hillfield. Um, just as much as I am. Um, I happen to be under life vows and I've got vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Other people are there with a commitment to be part of the community, to share its ethos, to work with us, to, to um, participate in meetings and so on with us. But it's a real participation and they have a joint say in the decision-making of the community. The second thing is that it's the one thing which has been absolutely essential to us and remains essential to us is to keep is to have the prayer life of the community right at its heart. Um, I mean, we have a daily pattern of, of daily office, which only the brothers are committed to, and other people are welcome to join in and share and participate in. But everybody participates in the morning meeting, which begins and ends with prayer, with the evening meal, which always ends with prayer. So there's always a pattern of prayer going on in the life of the community. And without that, I think we would lose our heart and lose our sense of purpose altogether. Um, the third thing is that uh, even the newest, even the person who's coming just for three months to the light to live with us and share our life actually needs some induction and some formation. We all need formation and formation in any community is, is essential. Um, the fourth thing is that um, 
a, a strong commitment to the common task that we uh, we need we need a sense of purpose of what we're there for being in community it frankly isn't enough uh, it's it's not an end in itself um, at Hillfield we have a commitment to care for the uh, a passion for caring for the land uh, we're, we're set in a stunning part of Dorset and uh, we have a deep sense of wanting to express something of Francis's joy in um, God's creation but also um, uh, to reach out in hospitality and offer radical hospitality to other people so having a common task is really essential and knowing that and reminding ourselves of that is important and just one last thing is that, uh, two or two things which are really important, last thing. One is, is, is no community can live for a moment without recognising the need for forgiveness. Um, Jean Vanier said that anyone who joins a community without um, expecting to find the gift of forgiveness will go away very disappointed. Because you see, actually, you know, community life would be fine if it wasn't for the other brothers and sisters who are there. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know we're constantly having to, be, to, to rediscover that and remind ourselves and actually to, to, to learn to forgive each other and to work for reconciliation and peace amongst us and the, um, the second thing is, which is absolutely essential is, is laughter um, laughter and fun in the community it, it, it's, you can't be too serious about it um, you, you do need a sense of the ridiculous and the um, the amusing, there must be laughter in any community. Without it, a community will die. Thanks, Brother Sam. Um, we're going to take a break in a minute. I just want to give a few thoughts, and then we'll take a break. Um, you've had a lot tonight, lots of wisdom. I suppose I just want to reflect on a few things. The first is, um, I think we're beginning to realise now that the reason why we have so many unchurched people in this country is because discipleship has been so badly done um, that people do not have the resources um, and the depth of understanding to deal with pain and struggle. So that I think there's something about this new monasticism which is about empowering people to go deeper um, with the faith. And some of these projects are very exciting. Just to give you up to date with the Moot one, Moot has been given this church in the city of London, um, um, which is quite scary when you go and look at this place because it is a it was actually set up by the Benedictines 900 years ago um, with a view of doing mission in the city of London. Um, and so what we want to do there is to set up an arts cafe lounge focusing on the unchurched, but being a community that's actually drawn heavily on people who have been dechurched or people who just find it difficult to relate to traditional forms of church. And that is extremely exciting. Um, and I think that's what mission is about, isn't it? It's that catching up with what God is doing despite what we might get in the way with. So be excited. I think we're in excited times. Um, I've, one thanks I just wanted to give before um, we take a break is Christine Smith, who's sitting here to our left, who is from Canterbury Press, um, and they have been a big support um, to this entire project. This, this is the second book. The first book is on the shelf too, and there will be a third book um, to do about Mission Church and the Kingdom of God, and that will be coming out next year. So can we say thank you to this panel and also to Christine for this project. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Moot Community Podcast. If you'd like more information on who we are and what we do, please visit www.moot.uk.net.